Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos. I am your host as always. And today we will have a solo podcast, two topics. First subtopic will be um, a new release from a collaboration of two brands that I really love. Uh, this is Fears Watches out of uh, London and uh, Garrick Watches out of the UK as well. So Garrick and Fears have an amazing collaboration that I want to talk to you guys about. I think it's amazing. I think it's great for watchmaking. And we'll discuss that. And uh, the main topic, though, will be the market correction that we're seeing. Um, Watchbox is in, an, in a unique position to be kind of all places at all times. And we get to see kind of what is coming in terms of market trends. So we're seeing something interesting, and I want to share that with you guys. Uh, but before we get started, as always, our customary risk check. So today on the wrist, um, in uh, celebration of the new collaboration between Fears and Garrick, I am wearing my Garrick Norfolk. Um, this is a watch that I picked up uh, or it was delivered to me last December. I ordered it last July. Um, it's an amazing watch. I've talked about it before on the show, but if, if you haven't heard of Garrick, uh, they're a brand that is based out of the UK, I believe that they were founded around 2015 or so. Um, very small micro brand. They make about 50 to 70 watches per year. <clears throat> they have, uh, I think, four different models. This was their entry level model, but has been since discontinued. So this is the Norfolk. It's still you can still find all the specs on their website, Garrick.co.uk. Um, Garrick is an awesome brand. Uh, it's focused on old world and hand made watches, right? So old world techniques, handmade finishing. And um, this watch has a 42 millimeter 904 steel case, hand finished bezel, hand finished case, um, handcrafted crown. Uh, dial is is something that they call Norfolk blue. I like to refer to it as Florida sky blue because it matches, uh, actually matches the sky outside my window right now. This beautiful sky blue. And um, it's a nautical themed watch uh, in terms of aesthetics. It's manual wind, again, 42 millimeters. It has, I believe, a Unitas movement, but is fully finished and rhodium plated. Um, enamel dial, an enamel dial, heat blued hands. And it's just an amazing watch. Uh, I purchased this, like I said, last July, and it is uh, something that'll be in my collection forever. It, If you ask the CEO and founder of the brand, David Brailsford, he'll tell you this is the last one off the line, so I'll take his word for that. So they've only ever made 40 of these watches before discontinuing them. I have the last one, number 40. This one's not for sale, but I did notice that there is one for sale on eBay. It's the first I've ever seen um, with this blue dial because they do they did offer the watch with a white dial as well that I've seen for sale on some forums, but there is one of these on sale on eBay right now or for sale on eBay right now. I think it's asking about $4,400, $4,500, which I believe is a steal. Um, I mean, if you start comparing this watch, this build to, and you know, the level of hand finishing that goes into this watch, compare that to other models. I mean, they could certainly be charging double. This could be a $10,000 plus watch. Um, I paid about 40, I think I paid about $4,200, $4,300 for this watch. So, you know, picking up one, um, that looks like it's a new condition from what seems like a reputable seller on eBay. I don't know the seller, but it looks like he's got his shit together in terms of the listing. And he's asking a fair fair amount. So, um, you know, there's your chance to go ahead and pick up a Garrick. Uh, 
Again, that's my wrist check. That's what I have on the wrist. Uh, absolutely obsessed with this watch. It's fantastic. It gets a lot of wrist time. All right, so that leads us into the first topic today, which is a an amazing new collaboration between two brands that I love. So uh, if you go back to if you go back to our episode list, I don't know the episode numbers. I probably should have looked that up before this, but I did a back-to-back -back recordings. Uh, I did an interview with um, Nick Scargill from uh, Fears Watches, which is, I mean, I I think we went for a little over an hour, and I could have done two or three more hours. He's a young young guy. He's younger than I am. I'm 35. I think he's 30 30 years old or something. Don't quote me on that. Um, and he essentially revived a family brand called Fears that is the oldest watch brand out of England and um, has revived a few models that pay homage to those originals. And it really just amazing classic watches. So old world uh, styling from Fears watches. And Garrick is a brand uh, headed up by David Brailsford, who is... A uh, gentleman who's been, he's an entrepreneur, who's been in the watch industry for a very long time. Started the brand, if I remember correctly, back in 2015. Again, I did a, I did a, an interview podcast with him. It was about an hour as well. So I would say check those out. If you are interested in this watch, listen to both those podcasts first to so get a feel for exactly who you're dealing with. Um, but an amazing gentleman is the most, one of the most down-to-earth people I've ever met in the watch industry. He makes about 50 to 70 watches per year. And it's all about the using old world techniques and hand making watches in England. Um, so amazing watches. So what they did is these, these gentlemen are friends and uh, colleagues. So they decided to create a collaboration. So what you get is, in my opinion, the best of both worlds. So you're going to get the same case that I have on my, on my Norfolk, this 42 millimeter polished bezel brush case side, um, kind of what they call curvaceous cage, uh, uh, case, which is a great term for this case. I think it is curvaceous in a lot of ways. It's a great way to ex explain it. Extremely comfortable on the wrist. It aesthetically pleasing, just it, it's better on the wrist than it is in photos. And I think it's amazing in photos. Besides that, you're going to get this bright matte white dial, which serves as almost a canvas, right? So you know, the dial that I have on my Norfolk is an enamel dial. I don't see if this dial on the Fear, Fears Garrett collaboration is made of enamel, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Otherwise, it's just a stark white, kind of a blank canvas for them to do their work, right? You're going to have diamond cut numerals, hand applied diamond cut numerals, hand finished, um, handmade and hand finished heat blued hands that are going to be in the style of Fears as well. Besides that, everything else is Garrick. Uh, you're going to have dial side power reserve. You're also going to have the balance cut out of the dial and exposed. Uh, it, let's not get this confused with the tourbillon. I've had a customer reach out to me and say, hey, did you see the new uh, the new Garrick tourbillon uh, from Fears? And I said, no, that's not a tourbillon. This is just a free-sprung free balance that's exposed dial side. It's just as gorgeous in my opinion. Um, hand finish movement on both sides. So you can see behind the balance, you're going to have a uh, a matte hand finished plate. And you're also on the case back, you're going to have this gorgeous, what looks like rhodium plated hand finished movement as well. Exposed case back. Um, the crown, which is something that 
I was a little hesitant on my Garrick. Uh, Garrick uses onion crowns. The crown on this dial is more in the style of these Fears watches, which is more of like a squared, knurled crown. And I think it's absolutely perfect. The watch is amazing. Um, $19,500, or sorry, 19,500 pounds, which translates to about $25,000. I've heard that they're making between five and 10 of these per year. They're all made to order. So, um, and it looks like the first batch of these will be delivered in July of 2023. So about a year from now. Worth the wait, in my opinion. And if you compare these to other watches, on, especially in this market, it's a tremendous value. But if you don't want to spend $25,000 on a micro brand watch, both brands offer watches that are far less expensive. So if you go to Garrick, for example, and you look at their base model now, which is the S4, um, again, my Norfolk was the base model in the past. Now the S4 is the entry level. Starts at 5,500 pounds, which is roughly 7,000 US. Um, and now you can have a, a bespoke hand-finished watched. Um, you're going to have um, a, a choice of uh, different types of finishing on the dial. They are tremendous dial finishing. They have uh, just, you can see different colors, different enamels. Uh, my partner, buddy Jason Main, got an S4 and had green enamel filled in over the guilloche, which was just amazing. If you go to his Instagram, Evo underscore watches, you can see a picture of his, and or if you go to the Garrick watches Instagram as well, you can see all the different variations. And again, that watch starts at about 7,000 US. If you go to Fears, um, they also, they use uh, some quartz movements, so you can even get watches as low as, you know, uh, 3,300 pounds or even less, 3,000 pounds, which, you know, roughly less than 5,000 US dollars. Again, <clears throat> you're going to have more traditional um uh, designs when you're looking at fears both watches both brands have uh, a lot of value i think they offer a ton and, and if you wanted to buy two watches and you only had ten thousand dollars to spend i would say go buy a garrick s4 and then go over to fears and and pick up a brunswick or with any type type of dial color you like and i think you'll, you'll do great with those amazing watches definitely something to look at um, if you want to check out garrick it is uh, their website is garrick.uk, sorry, garrick.co.uk, <clears throat> and fears is fearswatches.com. Definitely check those out. Uh, this is not a paid sponsorship. I am just a lover of both brands and an owner of a Garrick. And this year I'm buying a house, uh, so watch buying budget is a bit lower than normal. So I won't be buying a, a watch this year, but uh, next year I'll probably be picking up uh, another watch and that'll be a Fears. All right, so main topic today. And what I want to talk about, something that we're seeing in the, over the last, really the last 30 days, 60 days, and it is what we're calling a market correction or a pullback. So going back to about December, we saw certain models of watches, namely Rolex Daytonas and Steel, um, Paddock Nautilus and Royal Oak, uh, stainless steel Royal Oaks, different various sizes, all hit a jump of almost 30% in a like roughly a 30-day period from like December to January. We were scratching our heads. We were trying to figure out what it was. I've mentioned it before. There's 
few different reasons for this. You know, there's definitely hype. Hype is part of it. You know, people get caught up and they they feel like they're being left out and they better buy now. And that just keeps driving up the um, the asking prices and people keep paying them. So there's that. There's also what look like a small consortium of dealers who maybe were not interested in kind of broadening their their buying uh they're buying, how do I, what's the word I use? They, they didn't want to educate themselves on a broad number of brands and broad number of models. They wanted to keep buying the same watches because they knew the, what they were. And if they could help push those markets up, then they can keep, they can buy them back from the people they sold them to. So it looked like there was part, part of it was that, part of it was the hype. Either way, it translated to like a 30% bump over almost like a, like a one month period. It was insane. We, uh, Watchbox was very careful not to Follow the hype, and you know we decided we were going to take a wait and see, um, a wait and see uh, approach to this. Uh, we weren't initially paying all these crazy prices. We waited to see these watches trading, and then they started trading at those high levels. So we got into that market. Um, what we've seen now, uh, and keep in mind, uh, Watchbox has offices in Singapore, Hong Kong, Switzerland, and Dubai, as well as the U.S. So we're kind of we're all places. We get to see, you know, where trading is like in certain areas, and we get to watch trends and see them kind of coming, right? So what we saw was started in Asia. There was a pullback on steel Daytonas. All of a sudden, steel Daytonas kind of quit trading, and then the prices started to come back, come down. Same thing with steel Nautiluses. Um, different models: fifty-seven twelve, fifty-seven twenty-sixes, fifty-seven elevens, all slowed down in terms of trading, and then prices started to drop a bit here and there. Um, Royal Oaks in some capacity have, but not nearly as much as the, as the Rolexes and the APs. So that happened, um, around February, we started noticing that and it looks like it's arrived here in the U S now in May. So, uh, what are we seeing? Well, we're seeing Rolex Daytonas with white dials and ceramic bezels that were trading for above 50 are now, for example, on our website, the most expensive ones that we have posted are $44,000. Still a bit expensive in my opinion. I think that they'll land somewhere in the high 30s uh, and kind of stick there because there's a lot of support levels there. Um, but, you know, we've definitely seen a, a, a pullback on those. Um, the the hypiest models uh, have slowed down and it's kind of affected everything, you know, some less than others, right? So um, the watches that haven't gone full insanity have been pulled back maybe a few percentage points, whereas again the Daytonas are you know ten thousand dollars almost uh, in trading difference between where they were you know, like forty five days ago. Also, we're seeing dealers who are who kind of had to chase the market upwards in terms of being able to compete, right? So people that were say for example outbidding us on watches. Um, are now kind of stuck with those inventories and they're not, they're not in a position to lower their price. So again, Watchbox across the board lowered their, their ass pricing on um, Steel Daytonas, uh, whereas other smaller dealers who we know have been outbidding us um, somewhat consistently over the last, say, 30 to 60 days are in a position where they cannot lower their pricing. So we're still seeing ask prices for, for example, I found a 2018 white dial Daytona asking almost $53,000 where uh, from a reputable dealer that we know and we deal with as well. And, you know, we have, for example, a competitive offer 
of $45,000 for 2021. So, you know, if you're a, a buyer on the market and you're seeing these two watches next to each other and trying to figure out why a watch that is, you know, three years older is, you know, $8,000 more expensive, it's going to cause you to hesitate on buying realistically. And that's what we expect. So we expect um, a, a bit of a pullback here. It's going to be, you know, as people are, who have been looking at the market are trying to trying to reconcile what asking prices are, what, what the true market is, we assume there's going to be a little bit of a pullback. We've seen that in our numbers. Um, we're totally prepared for this and, and not all dealers are, but we are absolutely prepared for this and we're, we're actually uh, welcoming it. You know, one thing, if you take it, if you zoom back, um, pre 2017, the watch market was a bit cyclical. It would it would cool in the summer and then it would heat up towards the end of the year, right? This is this is kind of how it works, right? Like I was talking to someone who's in the car industry. They said it was kind of the opposite of that uh, in the car industry. But, you know, post-2017 for the watch market and then in terms of, of you know, all asset classes, post-2020, there really was no summer for the last two years, right? <clears throat> the uh, prices steadily grew month after month with no no cooling period um so you know we're, we welcome that we like that it's it, it's a i think it's actually good for the market in general to have a cooling period every year so things don't get out of hand you know spending two hundred thousand dollars for a steel nautilus um just seems absurd so you know we're we're definitely seeing what we believe is kind of a summer here um the numbers that you know, the numbers that we saw in the beginning of the year were tremendous, but not sustainable. The trading volume has slowed slightly. I mean, it's still well above what it was, say, five years ago. So let's preface this with the summer slowdown has basically put us back to where we were somewhere in December of 2021. Um, it seems like across the board. Some, some models are still a bit stronger. Some have dropped a little bit below that late 2021 price range, but that was right around like what we said, where there was like a 30% ramp up across the board on some of these hype ass watches. It's just like the ridiculous pricing. You know, fifty thousand dollars for a steel Daytona. You know, I'm on record saying that's the worst fifty thousand dollars you can spend on a watch. You know, if, if fifty thousand dollars doesn't mean anything to you, then go for it. But otherwise, I would I wouldn't have spent that much money on there. And and luckily, you don't have to anymore. So you know, what does this mean for the watch world in general? Um, and and some people are asking me, you know, does the war in Ukraine have an effect on this? I mean, I'd say global events probably have an effect on all asset classes. Uh, we do see some, there is like, you know, uh, a little bit of an uptick out of that Eastern European market in terms of watch offers to us. Maybe people looking to, you know, get a little bit more liquid, uh, moving money out of those regions, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it doesn't seem like that's causing any real, it doesn't have any real effect on the market. Um, it just looks like it's, you know, things are going back to being a bit cyclical, you know. It, you can't just have um, high buying volumes or high trading volumes month after month. It just doesn't make sense, right? We're seeing it in the stock market as well, though. Stock market has had a few drops over the last year anyways, whereas the watch market kept, kept moving in the opposite direction. It was wild, right? And we saw a crash back, whatever, not a crash, but a uh, a stock market um, pullback 
a few months ago, watches getting gained value. It was just wild. So it looks like it's kind of the watch market is really um, getting in line with the rest of, you know, the markets in general, right? So what does that mean? So that means you don't have to spend $50,000 on a Steel Daytona. Um, it looks like Pepsis are coming down as well. Um, I had a guy, a dealer who I know was offering $20,000 for a, basically a new Oyster Pepsi is down to offering $18,000. And this is a guy that works on very small margins. Same with Batman's. So steel, steel uh, Rolex pricing is probably down 10 to 15% across the board. Um, but again, it's it's still, you know, most of these watches are at least double retail. Uh, but they're becoming a little bit more affordable. What do I think that will mean towards the end of the year? Well, you know, if you if there might have been guys who could afford 40 but couldn't afford 50 or could stomach 40 but couldn't couldn't stomach $50,000 for a steel Daytona. So I foresee, you know, for example, watch boxes buying watches, we're buying we're being offered more watches than we have in the last 2 years. Um, month over month. So, you know, we'll be stocking up for for watches that will probably be selling at a bit of higher level towards the end of the year or just trading at a at a higher clip in terms of volume. Um, you're also going to, but you might see a bit of a consolidation in the market, right? So your favorite small dealer who was working on small margins and was looking to outbid some of the larger players out there in order to compete are now kind of stuck and they have to make a decision. Am I going, you know, I paid, I paid $49,000 for this Daytona, you know, hoping I could sell it for 40 or for 52. Now I'm going to have to sell it for 45 and I bought, you know, 20 of them. So can I stomach that loss? And you're going to see a possible um, consolidation in the market. It's probably good. You know, there's, uh, if you're getting into the watch market because you see quick profits, and you're not prepared to take losses in situations like this, it's probably not good for you to be in the market long-term. Um, so you're probably going to see cons consolidation. You know, we're in talks with some of these dealers that I'm talking about in terms of buying out some of their stock and help helping them, you know, in terms of cash flow, just because they're, they're, if they're not selling, um, you know, every day, they're kind of getting screwed. So I think you might see a little bit of a of a downturn in terms of inventory numbers for some of the smaller dealers that that you might be you know happy to work with, um, and I think that you're going to see trading volumes slow throughout the summer, but there will be an uptick towards the end of the year, I guess, barring any type of you know nuclear war with Russia or something like that, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's overall it's good for the market. I mean, we have seen like for example AP. AP, the, there's been a flattening in terms of like the 15500s um, and the 26320, sorry, the 26331s. So just the the run of the mill, I guess, um, Royal Oak and 41. But for example, the 50th anniversaries are insane. I mean, I've seen $225,000 for a green dial steel 41 uh, Royal Oak Chrono. I mean, that's, that's absurd, but that's that's more of a you know, a, a highly limited piece, I guess, is, and that's how collectors are looking at those. Um, you know, I have, I know a dealer who was paying like $175,000 for that watch. Um, but that those are, those are kind of outside the normal market for AP. Um, the offshores are, uh, are definitely starting to flatten out a little bit. I was hoping that my titanium offshore would be 
a $40,000 watch by now. It does not look like that'll ever happen. Looks like it'll still be kind of like a high 20s, low 30s um, in terms of retail trading numbers. Um, I think the highest offer I got on my watch was 24,000, which I think is down to 22 now um, from a dealer. So um, offshores are still, you know, I guess, relatively affordable in the market. Um, I, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know like a few months ago, I posted there was one for like 26,000. Seemed really cheap and someone finally bought it. Congrats to that gentleman <clears throat> or lady. Um, you know, that's a great watch. If you haven't seen the 26170Ti, I think that is the, the best offshore that you can buy, the most wearable. The offshores, especially on a bracelet, tend to be extremely heavy um, and, and kind of imbalanced. In titanium, it's perfect. So if you're still looking for value from AP and you want to spend 30000 or less on a, an iconic model, I would say go, look for that model. It's a 26170Ti for titanium. Full bracelet. There are, I don't know, 20 or 30 or so on Chrono 24. Asking prices range in the high 20s up to like 40. But um, I think you can, that's probably a watch that you can get right around that 30 to $32,000 mark from a reputable seller. Um, something to look at. Um, what else? Uh, I would say um, Paddock, we are seeing, while we're seeing a bit of a pullback uh, on Nautilus and Steel Nautilus specifically, we're still seeing interest in Calatrava and in their complicated models. Um, I have, uh, I'm working on a deal currently for a 5170 Platinum uh, from, a, from a gentleman. Uh, and if the sale goes through, it'll be the most expensive one I've ever sold, um, but still seems like it's a great uh, a great value there. Uh, I think there might still be a little bit more room to to move. Those are trading, you know, right around the $150,000 mark, and they were just a year ago under $100,000. Um, again, that's a limited, that was a one-year run, discontinued now. So that makes a little bit of sense. So people, collectors are seemingly in terms of the ones I'm working with, moving away from hyped sport watches and into more of the traditional um, uh, the traditional and complicated dress watches. I think that we're, we're going to continue to see that, right? You're going to see as the collectors who got into this right around that 2017 mark have educated themselves and are looking into something different and, and they owned all the Rolexes and the APs and the paddocks, and now they're looking to evolve in their collecting. Um, they're going to be looking at more complicated watches. Also, a Moser, we're seeing still a continued rise for Moser, continued rise for Debethune. Jorn somehow just continues to rise as well. Um, I, if you would have told me last year that Jorn would continue to be rising this year, I, I would tell you you're crazy. It seems like we were waiting for some sort of flattening. It's not happening. The super high-end buyer in the market is... Um, is continuing to focus on Jorn. Um, you know, there's, uh, I'm having a conversation now with a collector who is looking at a minute repeater. And um, I mean, that that seems like that, if he doesn't buy it now, by the end of the year, the watch will be, you know, $50,000 more. That seems to be the trend. So, um, you know, independence and traditional complicated watches seem to be still in terms of the value. That's you know, that's where to put the money. And I mean, there's, you know, better watchmaking in general, you know, you get more for what you spend looking at one of those. You know, if I spend, if I have a, a this or that between a blue dial Nautilus 
or a 5170P with you know the gradient do uh, the gradient blue dial and the um, diamond baguette markers. Like it's a no brainer. Like why would I take that Nautilus? The Nautilus is nice, but not for 150. The 5170P seems like it delivers for that price point. Um, what else? I think that's that's basically it, guys. Um, you know that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a pullback of the hype watches. We're still seeing strength moving into more of the merit-based watches, which is, you know, what people have been complaining about for years, like the guys who are the, like the watch hipsters who've been in it for, you know, since, you know, 2000 or 2005 or whatever it may be, and they've been buying at discounts and all this stuff. Those guys have been complaining, you know, why steel sport watches are junk, blah, blah, blah. Well, here you go. Now you're, all the watches that you love are now becoming more expensive. You're going to have to compete with the rest of the market. The guys who who ran up the pricing on the steel sport watches are now moving into your world. So be cognizant. Um, you know, if you're, if you want to, I mean, we saw it with Longa. It happened to me. Um, my grail watch kind of, it, it was and still is the, what's the reference? 403035 um, datagraph platinum with a black dial. Um, that was a watch that I could have picked up wholesale right around 40 to 45,000. Now that watch is like a roughly a hundred thousand dollar watch. Um, you know, Longa is again, is that brand that is, that is definitely being fed by collectors looking for more traditional watchmaking. Um, so, you know, that market's getting crowded. And, uh, so if there's a watch that you see out there that you love, that you, you know, you feel like is your grail and that you're waiting to get the best deal or the best, the best version of the watch, um, just pay attention because it's very possible that there's other buyers who are now you know, waking up to that model, especially if it's, you know, a complicated high horology piece, that's what we're seeing a lot of guys moving into. All right. Well, um, sorry for the short podcast. I'll be back. I just had a conversation with Mike Manjos. He's going to jump on with me so we can discuss a little bit more about what he's seeing as the global head of trading for Watchbox. Um, and that'll probably be the next episode. So thanks guys for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, reach out to me directly. You can email me jthanos at thewatchbox.com. You can also DM me on Instagram at mrthanos, Mr. Thanos. My, uh, that's my Instagram and uh, I'm pretty active there as well. Um, otherwise, subscribe to this podcast, however you listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you listen. And uh, if you have any uh, suggestions for guests or you want to come on or do a segment with me, I'm happy to, to record with you. Um, I can send you a link and I can record. You don't have to fly in town. We can do this remotely. I'm very interested in having some collector conversations. So if you have a cool collection and you want to share your experiences and your collection with us, um, I am putting together a series of podcasts called Tales from the Desk and um, where we talk about um, experiences in buying from my side and from the collector side. So if you're interested in doing something like that with me, please reach out. I can make it very easy for you. We can keep your, your name anonymous too. If you have an Instagram handle, um, we can just go, go by that. I'm happy to do it. I'm just looking for interesting stories um, to add to the, you know, the world of watch collecting podcasts. So thanks guys. And hope to, hope you log in next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.